Coming up on today's episode, we break down the Jets' Game 2 loss in Vegas, plus get ready for the Saturday afternoon matchup in Winnipeg. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, game on. We got ourselves a competitive series now, leaving Vegas and Sin City with things all wrapped up at one after that late night game two loss for the Jets. 5-2 defeat. Couldn't do it a quick enough turnaround to get it done after the game, mainly because our co-host here was still working till 2 a.m. And there was zero chance that I was going to make it past midnight, let alone two hours later. So here we are a little bit later than normal here, but we'll get this one out to you guys in the afternoon, heading into the weekend and heading into that big-time matchup as we get playoff hockey back in Winnipeg. A wideout on the afternoon. Looking forward to that one. Going to be a beauty. But we got to break down game two before we look ahead to game three. And doing so once again, joining me, your host, Brandon Rewicki, CJOB's Tyson Rewicki. Tyson, you got some sleep? How we doing now? How we feeling? Doing much better. Yeah. Doing much better. Yeah, no, I got home pretty late. And you and me had gotten hoagie boys earlier that day. Ooh. I polished off the other half of my hokey at 2 30 and and fell asleep it was it was perfect that yeah that i you know what i bet there was a lot of people on 420 that had a hoagie and then fell asleep so <laughs> you, you joined about half the city there I yeah think it was 421 to be fair shut up um <laughs> but yeah that, that was probably the only good thing that happened on uh on on thursday was we slammed a hoagie to the dome and if you haven't been um, on Osborne there, I mean, shame on you because Hoagie Boys has been killing it for a while. But yeah, get down there immediately. Uh, Tyson got the Italian Standard, which is a classic. I went with the pepperoni, which might be my favorite, which is weird because I don't really like pizza subs. It's kind of like a pizza sub, but um, I mean, you can't go wrong with anything there. Then you have to get the pasta salad. It's the best pasta salad I think you'll ever have. I've, I've been met with some resistance on that. But um, your, your, your sub was a big time winner, right? Oh, yeah. I loved it. It was first time having it. It was so good. So, so good. good. All right. Well, unfortunately, we go from a bit of a high to a bit of a low. Uh, let's get into that matchup, Tyson. Thursday night, the Winnipeg Jets take on the Vegas Golden Knights. And my my takeaway from the game once it all wrapped up was my my first comments to kick off the episode here, which is just game on. Like we got ourselves a series now, and and this one looks to be a bit of a beauty. Um, the short series we were talking about after game one that might not come to fruition now, um, but it does look like we'll have ourselves a back and forth all the way through here, and all the the pundits and the analytic people and everything like that that said this would be the tightest, most competitive series. Oh, they they might have been onto something here, which is a bit of a shame because the Jets had a chance. They came out of the gates, and I mean, if there was going to be one team that you thought would be flying to kick this one off, you thought it would be the Golden Knights after their amazingly inept performance in Game 1. But that continued through the first period where the Jets the Jets kicked their asses once again, and you thought 
is this actually going to happen? Are the are the top seeded Golden Knights going to be down 0-2 and get blown out of their own barn consecutive nights? Uh, didn't that quite happen over the last 40 minutes there? And yeah, um, Vegas kind of flexed their muscles and showed why they're the top seed in the West. So Tyson, now that everything is tied up at ones and we've had a couple hours of sleep to digest and break this one down, what stood out to you the most? from that game two, five, two defeat for the Winnipeg Jets. Well, it was a game of two halves really, right? Like I thought the Jets played a really good 30. I thought they played a first, like the first 30 was so solid that the boys were flying. And then kind of just after that half, just over that halfway mark, you, you could see the tides really start to change and, and Vegas's forecheck. I thought that what the Jets did in game one to kind of negate that forecheck, they didn't do that well in that game. The, the Vegas was having a lot of clean runs at guys. A lot of Jets, and this isn't totally on just the Vegas forecheck. There was a lot of missed passes, too. There was a lot of a lot of passes into skates that were getting picked off, and that you can't do that against a team like Vegas. When you give a team like Vegas second chances to really kind of start to, to control play in the offensive zone, that's where they're most dangerous, and that's where they kept on getting those goals. There was so, like, the, the both Mark Stone goals were because of battling around the net and, and behind the net. And then you see, like, obviously on that last goal where the game's kind of getting close out of hand. There's no one within 10 feet of him. And I think we saw some of those habits that were really plaguing the Jets when they were having that bad streak in that last half of the game. I thought they, they really just let off the gas and kind of assumed that, hey, you know, we're kind of we're rolling now. And, you know, I, I thought that after that Stenlin goal, that would be a bit of a wake up call. But, you know, it, it came at a tough, tough time to closer to the end of the second period. So. You, you couldn't build on that momentum as much. But to come out in the third period like that, I just, I, I you'd like to see a better effort, but it is still a split against the top team in the Western Conference, and you're coming back to one of the best crowds in the NHL. So you can't be too upset, but there are definitely some things that need to be corrected if they want to continue their success that they had in game one. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I think it's still positive, like super positive going into the, the, the two here in Winnipeg. Um personally i don't look at this with a super negative light and i don't even this like i i saw some people make the argument that this was an opportunity like the jets blew this one i i didn't really see it that way i just thought vegas vegas turned it up like they needed this one and it took them about 25 minutes to get going which is you know kind of a different story there but once they got going then you know they they really started to separate themselves from winnipeg and what was interesting as well to me in this one tice was that in game one Everything the Jets needed to do well to win the series happened for them. The opposite for Vegas. In game two, everything Vegas needed to do well to win this series happened for them. The opposite for the Jets. So it was just, it was a complete reversal there. Um, I mean, look, you don't get points for winning periods, but the Jets have won for the six periods so far and did so on the road. So, like, they're still playing much, much better hockey. And even though, you know, Vegas took it to them a bit in the final 40. You know, the Jets still had a couple of great opportunities and they were still generating a ton of quality chances against Laurent Brassois. So, you know, even when Vegas had the better of play, it's not like the Jets were were totally inept, which was something I, I, I think should be something you can build on heading into games three and four here. But the other part of it, too, was, you know, looking at the first two games, Shifley, Dubois, Connor led the way in game one. Eichel and Stone were on the melt carton. Game two, we get a complete reversal of that where... You know, and again, Shifley and Connor and Dubois had a bunch of chances. I mean, Connor almost scored the goal of the playoffs, 
the like, the goal of any playoff ever. Like that would have been through the roof. So it wasn't even like they they weren't as bad as Eichel and Stone were in Game One. But boy, oh boy, we'll get into some of the issues with 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 that line in a bit. But this was where you know Eichel and Stone needed a big boy game, it, them in particular, because Vegas just doesn't really have a whole lot elsewhere. And yeah, they came to play. That, that's that's why this team uh, <laughs> grabbed first spot in the Western Conference there. So just interesting how, you know, we get the split and kind of, I mean, I don't know. I kind of thought it would be 1-1 heading into Winnipeg. I'm not going to be shocked if it's 2-2 heading back to, to Vegas as well. Um, but so far, it, it's been, when you look at the best players on each team, they have not played a good 120 minutes so far. They've each had a good game so far. Um, but we haven't seen power versus power truly go head to head just yet. Um, but no doubt about it, that the Vegas Golden Knights needed a big response from their guys, and and Eichel and Stone delivered in a big, big way. Yeah, and then that's what it's crazy to, to watch Mark Stone play because you really see how important hockey IQ is, right? Yeah, because like I can skate better than him. <laughs> that's not even hyperbole. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this, and you can call me crazy. But if you're going off of offensive and defensive hockey IQ, I don't know if there's a player that's as smart as Mark Stone since like Pavel Datsuk. He's like a, yeah, he's like kind of like an awful skating Datsuk. Yeah, right. <laughs> like that's that's what I mean. Like I just feel like he's so underappreciated for how, like, really a huge hurdle to overcome, and he's one of the top right wingers in the league, and. He legitimately has a case for being one of the best defensive winners of all time, too. So it's just great to see a Winnipeg product kind of, you know, overcome a bunch of issues. Seventh round pick or sorry, sixth round pick and obvious skating concerns. Uh, there was a time in Brandon where he wasn't signing the contract to go play for the Wheat Kings. And McCrimmon called his dad and he said, why Why isn't he signing this? I want to I, I want him to play for our team. And his dad said, with that stride. <laughs> it's just, it's. I, I just thought I thought that was hilarious. And... Say, that that actually happened to me in Medicine Hat Tyson, except they <laughs> said with those hands, and then they didn't sign me. <laughs> that I went home. <laughs> I was there for a bit. That I, yeah, I've been like career arcs. I, and just like Stone, my back broken half. I I didn't get a I didn't get a good enough surgery though. There's so you know we're basically the same player. I I get it. But yeah, even and I could go on the score sheet this game, but. I still am not totally impressed with how he's playing. Like I, he, he was better, but he was better, but it wasn't the sort of, you know, you kind of expected him to come out of that gate flying and really take the game over. I thought he was better, but he wasn't taking the game over. And I think that's something where the jets can really kind of capitalize. And I think that especially coming into home on home ice where you can line match and get the matchups that you want. I think Eichel's going to have a really tough time in Winnipeg. And if he's, and if he plays like he did, even, in game two, I think the Jets are going to have some legitimate success against them if they can maintain this level of play. And I, I thought the bottom six had a really, I, they had a solid game, or like overall the whole game. And I think that the top six was kind of what did them in in that one, is that there's just that kind I you, we're going to get into the top line, obviously, but there's just so many times where it's like, oh, you're going, you're going, and then you're gone. It's it's just disengaged from the game, and and it wasn't like there was times where it was three two nights and you could see the disengagement. You could see the ah oh, well, it's almost sort of like we got we got our one game, you know, we got the split. That's all that's all good with us, and then it is that's a solid outcome for sure. 
but you know you had a chance to take a 2-0 lead you were you you were controlling play for most of that or the, for the first half of that game and you just kind of let it slip away and you listen to some of the post game interviews and with with Mark Shifley and the thing that kind of concerns me is just the fact that it's you know we'll move on to game 3 we'll move on to game 3 and i get that you're not going to be able to really say like you know you know we're the, the sky's falling we're not going to be able to do anything but when your whole mentality is kind of just like well you know if something goes wrong this game we'll just figure it out the next game like it's playoffs you know <laughs> like you, you might not have a next game to figure it out if you keep if you have that mentality and i think that that's also something to keep an eye on and i i wonder if we maybe see a bit of a line change line shifting going on for game three and you know, you you hope Nikolai Ehlers is back, and that's another thing we could talk about. Just how strange this situation is with Ehlers. I mean, going back before the playoffs, oh, I'm I'm okay to play, and then you have this kind of media war with the coach now, and it, that's just an odd, odd thing happening. Of course, it's playoffs; you're never going to get uh, Bones. Bones is only clarity that he's going to give you is that he's going to go from day to day to a game time decision so you're not going to get anything on Ehlers you're not going to know what he has isn't it isn't it just so and this is an NHL thing not a Jets thing isn't it just so dumb that like the injury game they play so dumb like like just just hiding like what what body part or what might be injured you know what I mean like the NFL is the most violent sport in the history of the planet and they don't they don't do lower body upper body like if somebody's hurt they're like, like with Mahomes like Mahomes ankle is hurt like <laughs> we can all see it right like they're like yeah we're gonna tape it up and his ankle's not that great that's hockey it's uh, some kind of lower body injury we have no idea though even though his foot was grabbed and twisted around it, it could be anything right like it's just so and like you're like is is Vegas gonna attack Ehlers differently when he's in because they don't know what the injury you know what I mean like they're He's coming back from being out forever. They're going to hit him every chance they get, whether you disclose the injury or whether you withhold it. It's just, it's always been goofy to me. Right. Remember last year with Leon, with Leon and his ankle and they, it was lower body, lower body, lower body. Did that stop the flames from giving them wax on the ankle? Like it, that's what, that's <laughs> what I mean. It's so stupid. They, yeah. They, they tried to not to cap. They tried to amputate his, his foot yeah. off. Right. Like it, these, these guys know what's going on and to, to play this, like you're some kind of, intelligence agency that you know nobody's gonna know what's wrong if we it's always just been goofy to me but that that's kind of an aside uh and we'll mention Ehlers before we wrap up the episode in a little bit here uh previewing game three against uh Vegas in Winnipeg here we kind of danced around it a little bit so far but you know let's get into it Vegas's top gun step up for them especially on the score sheet um that doesn't happen for the Winnipeg Jets top six players specifically the top line for the club after they in large part carried the team or at least led the way in that game one victory. Again, not all bad because especially in that first period, they were creating a ton of chances. How concerning is it though, that in the second half of the game and for, for sure, two of the goals, maybe even three of them, we saw same old, same old when it comes to the defensive play specifically with, with Shifley and Connor. Um, Mark Shifley, though, maybe standing out more so than the others. Losing Stevenson, I mean, off a face, Bones was pissed post game. Losing Stevenson off the face off for an easy tap in, and then some, I can't even say uncharacteristic, some disappointing um, decisions and effort and intensity levels on some of the other chances that Vegas was able to bury in that one. All right, like, is this just 
they had a rough one in game two. They were okay in game one. We're going to be just fine moving forward here. Like, I, I don't know. Tough to say, but are, are you kind of leaning one way or the other on, on how we, what we should see from Shifley, Connor, and Dubois in game three? I mean, I'm not going to go like two one way or the other because it was half of a game, right? Like the, sometimes things just don't go your way for for a couple periods, and that's that's okay. The thing that the things that stand out to me though, and you know, even going back to last year, we talked so much about this, and so it's kind of like you know, just overkill at this point. But the shift length, like right? Oh this, my gosh! This is the playoffs, and your average shift length is over a minute. That's well, you, you know, it's hilarious on that one. I forget which goal it was, um, but Shifley and Dubois were caught out there for God knows how long. I do know how long. I'll say that in just a sec. But um, <laughs> I think it might have been Murata Tesh from The Athletic said that, you know, on that play, Kyle Connor was able to get off his, his shift early there. Kyle Connor getting off early was a minute and 33 seconds long. Yeah, <laughs> That was the early part of the shift. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, and that's sort of where it, that's where you start to worry a bit, right? Like that's where that disengagement comes in, and that's where kind of losing focus in that game comes in. And I have a, there's another stat for you. There was 137 hits in that game, which is just a fake number too. There's no way there's that many hits in a hockey. Like you look at all the other playoff series, it's like 80, 80. I think the most other than this series was like 90, and then like last games was 125 for Jets Vegas. Every single player in that game, every single skater, had a hit except for one. Can you guess which one? I would probably guess Kyle Connor. Nope. Mark Shafley. Yep. <sighs> and when 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 they're when a team is just giving out hits, like the Vegas team, like the the officials in Vegas, and you're not able to get one, that just like that's showing a lack of not wanting to kind of go into those dirty areas, not make, cause there, there was a bunch of times too, where you saw that he could have finished his check on a D man, making it, he was skating right past the D man. And he did in game one. He did that in game yeah, one. Totally. And it's just, that's what boggles my mind is just how from game to game, it can be a, such a different player. It's just like a completely different player. And that's, that's where my concern comes in because it's a seven game series in the playoffs. And if you're, your good go-to guy has three great games that's awesome you win three games but if he has four crappy games you're done like that's and that's where it's kind of concerning and that and to have all three of those guys on one line you're kind of supercharging one line and then that's where you kind of get into troubles with and i thought i i think vlad sorry vlad nemesnikov has done a very good job in the role that he's been given but you can start to see a not signs of being overwhelmed but it's just a talent deficiency and and being an older player at this point in his career and i think that vegas as this series goes on is going to continue continue to get more and more efficient in the way that they're in the way that they forecheck and the way that they defend and i think that they're going to need these players to really step up here and i i don't know if, if overloading one line and it's a little more tough with Ehlers being out of the lineup but overloading one line at this point you got you got a couple good games out of them i think it's time to switch it up and see what else you can get you know, I I might even say with Ehlers out, it makes more sense to to split them up <laughs> because yeah. then you have, you know, for, I mean, realistically, for 50 plus minutes of the game, you have one of Shifley, Dubois, or Lowry out there. And then in the other seven, eight minutes, you have Senlin and Menelainen dominating and getting on the score sheet. So you're, you're, you're totally good. <laughs> you're totally good that way. I, yeah, I, 
I I don't think we'll see a change. I mean, I've been I wanted to change going into the playoffs, you know, even even as well as they've been playing. So, I mean, I think people know where I stand on this, but I I think we're going to see Bones stick to it here for the next little bit. Um, but I, I I kind of agree with you. I mean, that that's the peril of of overloading one line is if they're going, you're going to win. When they're not, it's going to be a bit of a struggle. And, you know, funny enough, the third and fourth line both get you goals in this one. Um, the second line, though, goes cold. The first line goes cold. Like, it's, it is, it's just difficult to, to generate three, four goals if your overloaded top line isn't able to get on the score sheet there. So that that's the risk that you run with that. The reward is what we saw in game one where they carry you to victory. So, uh, yeah, it, it can go either way there. I agree with you, though. I would like to see Shifley Dubois split up, and that's with or without Ehlers in the lineup for game three. But I don't think we're going to get that until un- unless we see a bit of a slow start in, in this upcoming game or Vegas pots two takes a lead. Like, I, I, I'm going to be surprised to see a change heading into the uh, the opener of this one here in Game 3 Saturday afternoon. Um, one change that did happen in the Vegas game, I I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think we'll see this carry over into Game 3, Tice. But we saw for the first time in a long time a shift in the deep pairings. Uh, Morrissey DeMello stays the same. Morrissey was outstanding in this game as well. I thought he was their, their best defenseman as usual, but by a long shot. But we saw Sandberg and Dylan swap places, and Dylan Sandberg get a little more responsibility, jumping up onto the second pair with Neil Pionk. Um, do we anticipate this being the move in Game Three that we see the third period decor stay the same, or do we get a reversion back to what we had to start the series? I hope so. <laughs> like I hope, I hope, I think Dylan Sandberg deserves second pair minutes now at this point in the season. I think he's earned that. I think you can look at it from the eye test and you can look at it analytically. I just think he's proven himself this year that he's a very capable second pairing defenseman. I mean, he's not going to light the world on fire, but even I think in this playoff series too, I think he's been more aggressive offensively more so than he has in the regular season. Especially in game one, he was jumping up a lot into the play. And I think that, you know, it's, that's you need those young guys. You look at Brock Faber in Minnesota and at the playoffs he's having already, he only played a couple of games. Right, like he, he saved, he saved game one for him. Yeah, and to think that, and I am I I like Brendan Dillon. He, he's a veteran defenseman, but he's getting up there, right? Like it's well, I I think for me it's you could make the case that the difference between the two is close to negligible. Like there's even if you're in Sandberg's camp, it's not like he's light years ahead of, of Brendan right. Dillon at this point. It's it's close. I would probably give the edge to Sandberg right now, but I can understand somebody saying like you know what they do is pretty similar there. But if that's the case, let let the young guy go. Like let, let let's see what he can do with a little more responsibility here. And the main thing for me and and why I'm I'm okay with things staying like they are right now with Sandberg being on the second pair is he doesn't look afraid at all. If anything, he looks. It looks like he's energized and like jacked up and ready to go. And he's got no problem taking on more responsibility. He's not playing scared whatsoever. And if that's going to be the case, I know Ty usually goes to the vet. For me, Ty goes to the young guy. Like, let, let's see what he can do. And he's going to be in Winnipeg. You have a chance to, to manage his matchups in the sense of if you want to keep him away from either a Stone or an Eichel, you can probably do that with Pionk. And you're able to get him a couple more minutes as well. And we've seen, you know, 
kind of the underrated part of this is Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon, when they've been together in the regular season, they were sneakily really, really sturdy. Like they, they, they don't give up a lot as a pairing. So it might be a case of, like, call it a demotion, if you will. You might just be optimizing these D pairs one way or the other. So that's something that I think is is pretty exciting that you're giving a young guy more opportunity here, but you might be making your second and third pair the best that you can with what you've got right now. So I, I, I'm intrigued to see how that goes heading into game three as well. Um, I guess let's talk about Nikolai Ehlers quickly. Kind of tough because we don't, no one knows what's going on. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if he's not in the lineup for game three. It feels, and I could be wrong, but it feels like the Jets have been saving him for this. And I don't know if, you know, he needed a few days to get right up to 100% or, or as close as you can. But that's just the sense that I'm getting here is that he's almost there. And maybe maybe if the Jets lost game one, he would have been in there for game two. But you win game one. And if you're worried about, you know, re-injuring whatever's hurting him right now, you can look at it and go, look, we we can hold him back for game two because one, one going back to Winnipeg, we feel like we're in a good spot. I do think we see Nikolai Ehlers come back for game three. How the lineup changes, I, I don't really know. I, I hope he goes back to the second line, right? Like I can't imagine why you would do anything other than that at this point, but you wonder if that third line gets switched up at all when they've been so, so good. Um, and if that third line stays the same, is it Nemesnikov? Is it Wheeler that goes down? Like the, the trickle-down effect will be pretty interesting if the Jets are hell-bent on keeping the top line overloaded and that third line making sure that they stay the same. Yeah, and, and one thing I'm looking to looking at with Ehlers is what because we don't know what kind of injury he had, I am I'm very curious to see how he handles the intensity and pace of playoff hockey. Not that I don't think that he can normally, but you got But just thinking about the kind of injury that he had, let's say, and this is all just speculation, obviously, but let's just say he did kind of re-aggravate that hernia. Like, how how's that going to affect him going into the corners? Right? Like, how is it? Does that kind of give a thought in the back of his mind? Like, hey, I don't really want to take this big hit here. Like, I, I that's that's where I'm a little bit concerned about. But he still is going to add that dynamic ability, and and that's what you need in a playoff series like this, where chances could could come few and far between for this team, and you need a guy who, when he does get those chances, he can capitalize on them. And I think yeah, and I think I think the second line just lacks some scoring punch right yeah, now with how yeah, they're 100. how they're situated. So this this goes about remedying that in a big big way there's just no doubt about it i mean it's it's the same with any injury and coming back to the playoffs you take the first hit if you're hurt <laughs> you're out for the game if you if you take that first hit and you're good to go then it kind of all washes away just that that first shift is usually the the first bump you need to to kind of be ready to go here um it, it's it's yeah I, if he comes in it'll be i would imagine gustafson's the one that comes out but i yeah i'm i'm kind of fascinated to see how bones alters his lineup here and may, maybe ehlers coming back in is the motivator to put shafley and dubois on on separate lines as centermen I, I i don't know that we'll see if that's the case here though and if the third line gets altered whatsoever here out of that as well maybe need a rider drops down to line 3 when they were maybe you know the team's second best line in, in game 1 i don't know We'll have to find out and, and check that out, though, as we as we move on to Game Three Saturday afternoon. Um, 
there's one other thing I just want to touch on quickly before we talk about some of the other series going on. Um, just something that I've noticed here that I think is a bit of not an Achilles heel, but but something that's popped up that I didn't expect to happen during this series that the Jets have started to take some advantage on and I think is going to play a big role in them ultimately still taking on the Golden Knights as this moves along here. But the Jets can expose Vegas on the rush. Big, 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 big time. They they did it a lot in game one. They I think they did it as much in game two. They just didn't capitalize on their opportunities. But the Golden Knights aren't afraid to send guys and multiple guys down deep, including defensemen in the offensive zone. And the Jets can get a couple of passes going. They're they're going to get odd man rushes going the other way. I, I I'm just I I've been really really surprised at how vulnerable Vegas has been. Like it's it's been really easy to get those chances. And I mean I don't I didn't see enough Knights games during the year to know if that was a problem. But I mean generally if you're the top team in the West, can't imagine that was an issue for them. But man oh man, through the first two games it's all over the place and it's there for them. And I think especially going back to Winnipeg here with the crowd buzzing, with them ready to go, just just something to keep an eye on for, for game three here. And especially early on, don't don't be shocked if the Jets are able to take advantage on, on some of these aggressive moves by the Golden Knights. And we don't see a couple of three-on-twos and two-on-ones in the early going. And it might determine who wins game three if the Jets finish on those chances. But I, I think it's going to happen in that one. And I'm... I'm predicting that we see more and more of this as the series goes on. And if that's the case, hey, if you're going to lean on Laurent Brassois, he's been great for them so far. But good luck over seven games if you think Brassois is um, going to be able to hold down the fort if you're giving up chances like that time and time again to a super talented forward court in Winnipeg. Yeah, and then last game too, even the Stenland goal, like that comes off the rush. The Lowry goal that the game before, like like you said, there, I feel like they are very susceptible, especially to cross ice passes too. It seems like they have a very aggressive style to defending the rush, and it's kind of a, you know, let's let's try and break up this shot here and try and, and force them to make a bad pass as well. I try to take the shot away, and in doing so, that forces a more rush pass and. But yeah, it's going to be, and with this team too, like that's where you're going to win this series is using your high-end talent to capitalize on the scoring chances that you get. When you have a goalie like Connor Hellebuck and that first save, that save that he made in the first period was absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. That's that's probably the save of the playoffs already. And when you have a goalie like that, who's capable of making those saves, it makes things a little bit easier too to kind of like, hey, let's, let's play within ourselves. Let's play smart, responsible hockey. And then in doing so, that'll generate just enough chances for us to capitalize on. And I think that's exactly what the Jets have to do in these next two games at home. Yep. And we will find out very quickly. We're just uh, 24 hours away, essentially, from Game 3 kicking off Saturday afternoon. Uh, Quickly, let's just take a quick look at the uh, rest of the first-round series that took place Thursday as well. And uh, yeah, you know, I got to say, Tyson, never lost faith. Told you. Told you Toronto would figure it out. (laughs) <laughs> what do they say? Yeah, you can't you can't win in five without losing one. So I don't know why everybody was worried about the baby. We're good to go, baby. It's all good. The, it's super interesting to see that with Hedman. Like if he's out for an extended period, you're done. Like Hedman and Chernak too. On top of that, yeah, it's both. It's it's the combo there. Like that's. I mean, it's tough for any team, but but especially in this. Wait, what's interesting about Leafs Lightning? This goes back to last year too. Toronto. More than any team can beat Vasilevsky. 
like they like they they, they kind of have his number. Like they they score pretty consistently against the best goalie on the planet, in my opinion. There were some pretty ridiculous snipes in that game. Yeah, too. like yeah, <laughs> yeah, like they. I mean, we all know that's never been an issue for Toronto, but it's just it's kind of interesting that. As long as they get avoided game seven when they will only score one goal, um, they can they can score a pass. It's just gonna be are they are they able to stay out of the box and defend well enough? So that'll be that's gonna be a hell of a matchup too, game three on the weekend in Toronto, Tampa Bay. Before um, before we talk about any other series, what did you think about the bunting suspension? <laughs> it's it's funny because it's the Leafs, but it's just again the insane inconsistencies with the Department of Player Safety. Like, yeah. like, I mean, look at that hit, and then look at the Hartman on Ehlers one, and tell me yeah. which one's worse. Like, it's crazy. Like, they, they and, just and, have no idea. There's, there's no reasoning for it. And that, and that wasn't that was game eighty two, too. So that was like, I, to, to be honest, I feel like that was the department just being like, well, it was game eighty one, but they suspended him for game right, eighty two, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. So it was just sort of like a well, last game of the season. They already, they, their playoffs are already set. Let's just get, let's get. But it, it just, it's it, that. Even that doesn't make sense from their side of things because, like, it's you still have an injury on the play, yeah, and it's a more predatory, like, illegal hit. Like, I, I, I just, I don't get it. And then you give Bunting three playoff games, essentially like six or seven regular season games, and I have no problem with them doing that. But it's just like the precedent is you give them a game or or two, right? Like, I, I just don't get where they're and nobody I, and knows I, where their heads are at, right? I could be wrong here too, so feel free to correct me. But I believe that the longest suspension this year was three games. So you're gonna tell me that that's that's the worst hit. hit that's happened this season. Yeah, that's it, it's know. a suspension. He he deserves to be yeah, suspended one hundred percent without a doubt. Three games though, like I don't know, that's a little crazy. Oh well, tough break. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it up, kid. Um, Rangers, Devils, Rangers. I mean. I, did you take New Jersey to win that? I I feel like I've tried to convince myself that I didn't, but I think I did. Oh, that was really dumb. Yeah, yeah, that, no, that, yeah this one's but over. I, I took my pools. I took. I went all Rangers. So okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, a little bit of sense goes your way there. But yeah, <laughs> I imagine. You know. I, uh, yeah. I, I picked it in five. Feeling pretty pretty good about that one. The surprise to me is that Colorado Seattle has been the series of the playoffs so far, and like. I guess it's kind of a slight. Vegas Winnipeg looks like it's in slow motion compared to when you watch Colorado Seattle. Like I, I don't know if they've got it on like one and a half times forward. Like <laughs> that they are miles faster than any other series I've seen so far. But the other ones have been close. Vegas Winnipeg to me has been maybe one of the slower ones, but Colorado Seattle is just like that's that's what, what was the what was the tweet like driving a motorcycle out of a helicopter like th- this series is insane um and a big big win for Colorado but yeah I, uh, Seattle's not slowing down and the uh that, that's gonna be a fun fun game to watch in game three to see what playoff hockey looks like in Seattle for the first time and and it's gonna be really interesting to see how Seattle goes about their team in the next couple of years too like we saw Vegas where you can t- you, you had the early success and you kind of you know, I'm trying to think of a better, better analogy yeah. than the term I'm thinking. Easy, of. easy there, Tyson. <laughs> but you kind of used a lot of your cap space to try and acquire these big name stars, and now you see that although their team is still fairly solid, there are some 
questions with the depth. Like it's not as their team aren't isn't as deep. I, as I think they're going to go as crazy as Vegas did. Like I think it's going to be a little more patient, right? Than but, but, than what but, we saw. But yeah, but you do have a lot of pieces already in place. Like Matty Beniers is looking like a very very solid. I I could call him a number one center right now like already, and, and that's just his rookie year. Like so, he's going to be a massive add. You. If Shane Wright maybe corrects a little couple things and starts to starts to progress a little bit more, there's your number two center, and you got a, a solid one two punch. And at that point, I mean, goaltending is obviously an issue. Still, Grubauer has the potential to steal games, but he also has the potential to be a beat let in a beach ball every single game. So that's that's there's that, and then also you just need that number one D man. They got a bunch of solid D men on that roster, but they don't have a guy that can really control a game and really play a full 30 minutes 25 minutes in a playoff game that's where i feel like that's where things kind of go not necessarily south but that could potentially be the downfall the crack and i i love a bunch of their players on d but it's just you need that that go-to guy you know like if if you had josh morrissey on that crack and decor good luck like that's we got a we got a Vince Dunn hater in the house, everybody. I like I, you know, Vince I, Dunn puts up seventy points and tells him like, oh, we got to just have a guy that could do that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they're 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 a good team. They're, they're good. Uh, but I will say, you know, they did shoot like eight percent higher as a team than anybody else this season. So like, I do wonder if there's a little bit of a Dave Haxtell effect. Yeah, the Dave Haxtell, sure, sure, the Haxtell effect. Uh, ask Philly how good that went for them after they made the playoffs with them. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Seattle's having fun right now. And, um, no surprise to anybody here, but Brandon Tanev just continues to be an all-time beauty, uh, with the, with the silly right in front of the guy, the Colorado guy, give him, he played it off pretty good there. I don't know how happy he was that his wife blew a kiss back, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's for them to figure out once they get home after the game. Um, speaking, speaking of fans, did you hear Phil Esposito? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Phil. I don't even, we're not even, I'm not even going to touch that. That was a guy, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. But whatever. <laughs> that was wild. I can't believe he said that either way. But um, quickly before we wrap up, I got to do uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk with Hustlers soon. So just uh, quickly, 30 seconds or so. Prediction for Game 3, Jets Golden Knights, Saturday afternoon. What do you think takes place? Crowd's going to be bumping. The Jets are going to come out. It's going to be a, just a slobber knocker in the first 10 minutes, and it's going to be a high pace, high-intensity couple minutes, and I think the Jets are really going to give it to them in the first half of that game, take a lead, and I think they'll just roll through the rest of that game. I'm going to say a 4-2 final. Ooh, okay. I do believe the Jets kicked the crap out of the Golden Knights in this one. I think Game 4 is going to be a much tougher one, but I am, I'm feeling pretty good about Game 3 here. Um I will say also that I don't know what it's going to be, but I think we do see a hilarious chant against Jack Eichel at some point in game three. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to I'm not clever enough to figure it out, but maybe we see some tears coming from number nine. I don't know. But that, that, that would be the perfect cap off to the game there. Um, I will say, too, last time the Jets played a Saturday afternoon playoff game. Do you know which one that was? Was it against Vegas? It was against Nashville. Oh, okay. And that was the game that Ish hit the fan. And it was an absolute <laughs> mayhem type of a game there. So if we see something like that, hey, we're going to get our money's worth. Uh, but hey, yeah, if, if, if you're hoping for good vibes and positivity heading into the weekend, we both got a game three victory for the Jets at a 2-1 series lead. Uh, either way, though, we'll have fun breaking that one down for you guys. And we'll have that one out sometime Sunday after or Sunday morning uh, for you guys. And we'll get ready for game four as well. 
Uh, but that'll do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in once again to Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki. CJOB's Tyson Rowicki stopping by once again. We'll get back at it to close out the weekend, wrapping up Game 3 and looking ahead to Game 4, Jets Golden Knights. We'll talk to you guys then. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, though, and have a great time Saturday afternoon. Peace.